Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to open your word. And we thank you, God, that you are a faithful God. And Lord, as we open your word today, would you encourage us with your word and convict us where it need be. I pray, Lord, that you would keep me clear and that we can learn so much from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, if you can tell, I'm not Dave Hintz. Uh, he is on vacation somewhere. I don't know where exactly, but I'm sure he's enjoying himself. If you don't know who I am, my name is Nate Phipps. I'm the youth director here, and I'm, I am really excited to be able to bring the Word of God to you today. One of my duties, uh, that I, or the privileges that I get to have, is I get to take the teenagers to camp, summer camp at Ascend Camp. And that's what we're going to be doing this summer, and that's what that taco feed in the bulletin is for raising, raising money for. And you don't want to miss that. That is some really, really good eating. And that helps, expay, that, helps, that helps pay for the expenses to Ascend Camp. And th- as we go there, there's lots of activities to do, ranging from all kinds of things. But there's one activity that really draws the, the young men uh, in, into action. And that is in the swimming area. It's in Lake Williamson, Illinois. And they have a swimming area. And there, floating on the lake, is this giant inflatable mountain. This giant inflatable mountain. And you can imagine to a young man the, what you want to do on that giant inflatable mountain is play King of the Mountain, which they do. And I've witnessed some pretty epic battles of King of the Mountain, especially from some of the young men in this room. And if you don't know, I'm sure you know what it is, but if you don't, one person gets to the top as quick as they can, proclaims himself king, and then everyone just bum rushes them as quickly as they can to try and throw them and dethrone them off the mountain. And it is just a time filled of grappling, biting, gouging, punching, and the men really like to test their masculinity on that mountain. But really what that illustrates is something that military strategists and generals have known forever, basically, which is it's much easier to defend the high ground than to be the one trying to charge up the high ground. And if you're the one attacking someone on a fortified location, you know that you're going to have to sacrifice a lot of numbers, and it's going to take a certain amount of courage to be able to take that location. And this morning, believe it or not, we're going to find ourselves in God's Word in one of those instances where there is some high ground that needs to be taken. And we're going to find ourselves in the book of Joshua. And it's going to involve a promise, a faithful God, a mountain, and one man. And so Joshua chapter 14 is where we're going to be this morning. You can turn there. And we're going to look at the faithful life of Caleb. And really what this is going to be, it's going to be a character study of the person of Caleb. And my goal isn't to worship the man of Caleb, but merely to demonstrate what a man who is faithful, which is he trusts God and is willing to act on that trust, what God can do through that one man. And maybe there's something for us to learn from that example for us today. But before I do that, I want to set the stage to what's going on here. If the teenagers will tell you that I love actually the Old Testament and I love talking about the Old Testament so much so that I make them learn uh, a progression that gets you through the Old Testament. And I won't do all of it today, but I'll give you a little snippet of it in order to bring us up to speed to what's going on in the book of Joshua. And when you think, when you think of Joshua, you think of the man Joshua, but actually I like to think of one of my biblical heroes, which is Caleb. And there's not a whole lot about him, but there's enough to really see that he was a faithful man of God. And really, I'm going to take you back real quick to Abraham. 
Abraham, the patriarch of the nation of Israel, God made a promise to him when he brought him to the land of Canaan. God made an eternal covenant that involved three things. It was land, seed, and blessing. And God promised Abraham that he would bless him. He promised Abraham that he would have many descendants and that they would have a land to dwell in. And that was an eternal covenant that he made to Abraham's descendants. Well, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, one of those sons being Joseph, who was sold into slavery, taken to Egypt, became second in command there. And because of a great famine, Joseph brought Jacob and all of their family to Egypt to live there. And the Egyptians didn't like that, really, after a while. And they thought, hey, we've got a lot of building projects we want to do. Let's enlist these guys to do some work for us. And so they did. And they enslaved the nation of Israel for 400 years. But God, being faithful, redeems his people out of the land of Egypt through Moses and takes them to the promised land, the land that he had promised Abraham so many years earlier to his descendants. But because of fear... The nation of Israel rebelled against God, and they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And then after that, Joshua, now leading them, gets to go into the land of, Egypt, into the land of Canaan and conquer it. And that might be starting to trigger your memory, and you might be thinking, oh yeah, there's kind of some stuff that makes me uncomfortable that happens in the, in the book of Joshua, because God gave a command to the nation of Israel to go in and to drive the people out and to kill everyone in the land. And so just real quick, this isn't going to be the point of the sermon, but I just want to address that in case that's something you're thinking about so that we can move forward uh, with our time with Caleb. And there's one, one passage I want to direct your attention to that really explains what's going on here, and it's in Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 through 16. You can turn there or I'll just read it. God, when he makes this covenant with Abraham, he tells them actually what's going to happen. And it brings us up to speed to where we're at in Joshua. God says to Abraham in Genesis 15, verses 13 through 16, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Sound familiar? He's talking about Egypt. But I will bring judgment on the nation, that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here where Abraham is living right now, which is Canaan, in the fourth generation. Why? For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God predicted that he would bring judgment on the land of the Amorites, and really that's just a synonym for the people who lived in that land, the Amorites, the Canaanites, there's a bunch of ites, and one is, is a synonym for the other. And this was a wicked, wicked people that instead of turning to God, decided to store up wrath for themselves. Their wicked pagan practices involved mostly grotesque sexual practices that they thought would excite their gods in order to produce their crops. And really the most heinous thing that they participated in regularly was child sacrifice. And when God gives Israel the law, he addresses this specifically in Leviticus 18.21. He says, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of God. I am the Lord. So this people that was dwelling in Canaan were a wicked, depraved people, just like you and me. And they deserved the wrath of God, just like you and me. But God, in his kindness, was patient and actually 
gave the, the, the descendants of Canaan over 600 years before he finally brought judgment on them. But instead, they decided to store wrath up for themselves. And so, now Israel is going into the land in the book of Joshua and they are to conquer it. One, because God made a promise to Abraham, and two, he's using Israel as a means of judgment on the people of that land, just like he would use other nations on Israel later. So that's what's going on there. I don't want that to be a distraction for you. Um, I hope that's helpful. So now we're going to get into Caleb. We're going to get into the life of Caleb in the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 14, it's really amazing if you like the book, if you're into war history or anything like that, you would love the book of Joshua. There's many battles, many epic battle schemes and strategies that happen. They they had a very specific way that they took the land. It's very interesting to read about. And once they had the land conquered, though, there were still pockets of people that lived there. They weren't all driven out. And so what, what it was up to the people then, Joshua divided the land and gave it to each tribe, each of the 12 tribes. And then it was up to the families and the people of that tribe to go in and drive everybody else out that was in their inheritance land. And so that's the context that brings us up to Joshua chapter 14. And Caleb, who we're going to be talking about today, is a representative of the tribe of Judah. And he comes to Joshua to request his inheritance, actually, because he's got some unsettled business that needs to be taken care of. And that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to read about, and that's what we're going to learn about. And we're going to see, in our, and what we're going to look at with Caleb is that we're going to look at three marks of a faithful life. We're going to look at three marks of a faithful life. Caleb had unfinished business, and we see that in his first request, that Caleb had a confident hope. The first mark of a faithful life is that Caleb had a confident hope. Look with me in Joshua 14, verses 6 through 7. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know... What the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Okay, so what's he talking about? Well, to understand, we're going to have to turn to the book of Numbers. And I'm just going to apologize. Because we're doing a character study, we're going to look at a couple different passages that, that involved Caleb, not just in Joshua. So, when you give the youth guy the pulpit, I'm going to do something a little bit different. And so that's what we're doing today. So it would help you if you put your finger or uh, your bulletin in Numbers 13 and 14. We're going to jump back and forth there. And so in Numbers 13 and 14, we see this event that he's talking about. He draws, he draws Joshua's attention back. You remember, it was 40 years ago, something happened. You were there, and I want you to remember it. In Numbers chapter 13, Israel has come across the Red Sea, they've gotten the law, God has brought them all the way up to the edge of the southern border of Canaan, and they're ready to go in and conquer it. And we see here in verses 17, verse 17 of chapter 13 of Numbers, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. He said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country. Now, if you're a marker in your Bible, put a little mark by that hill country, that'll become important later. And see what the land is and whether the people who dwell there are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds. So Moses sent 
12 spies, one from each tribe, for 40 days, and they explored all the way from the south to the top, all the way, and they explored the land that was there. In verse 21, we find out what they find. So they went up and spied out the land, and from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob, near the Lebo Hamath, they went up into the Negev and came to Hebron, Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt, and they came to the valley of Eskol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between the two of them, and they also brought some pomegranates and some figs. And so these 12 spies, of which Joshua and Caleb were a part of this group, they find the descendants of Anak, we'll talk about that later, and they find that it's a fertile land. It's so fertile that a cluster of grapes had to be carried by t- between two people. It was a good and fertile land. And what should have been uh, a unified report of a good thing that God had brought them to. He didn't bring them to a desert wasteland. He brought them to a good land to take care of them. Instead, though, the opposite happens. The opposite happens. We read in verses 27 through 28 their report. They come to Moses, and all the people are there is listening, which wasn't a good idea. They give the report to the whole people. And they told him, We came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And you can kind of feel just the weight. We saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land, the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. So they give a negative report. They give a negative report. A little bit about the Anakim, we don't know a whole lot, but the reason why this caused such a consternation in the spies is because the Anakim were an actual ethnic tribe of giants. They were a group of people, and they were known as fierce warriors. These people lived in the region of what is called Hebron, the, the southern portion of the, of the land of Canaan, or what we would call Israel today. And they lived in, in a very hilly country. And if I had to kind of relate it, it would look something like the Ozark Mountains, but without all the trees. It's really a rough, hilly country. And Goliath, who was a descendant of these giants, stood about nine feet tall, nine inches, pretty big guy. And one of his, uh, it says that the end of his spear weighed 15 pounds, which if you're having to wield something, that's really heavy. That's really heavy. Just for a frame of reference, Andre the Giant, if you've ever seen the movie The, um, the Princess Bride, Andre the Giant was 7 feet 4 inches and weighed a little over 500 pounds. And Goliath had two feet on that guy. And so I don't know if you had siblings growing up, if you had older brothers and sisters, and if they ever did the whole palm to your forehead thing, and you're, you're sitting there swinging, making yourself mad, you can understand that in a time where hand-to-hand combat was the way people fought war, it was pretty scary to think that someone would just kill you before you even got within arm's distance of them. It was pretty terrifying, and besides that, they had fortified cities up on top of the hills. It's like the worst of all scenarios for an invading army. This actually causes a big stir in the, in among the people, they begin, chaos starts to ensue. And we find that in the next verse of Numbers 13, verse 30. This is where Caleb comes on the scene. It says, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses. And this is what he says. I love this. 
Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. Apparently, the people were not happy about what's going on, so much so that Caleb has to, I imagine, stand up and quiet the entire nation of Israel. Caleb is all by himself, and he is making the claim that actually, you guys that are whining and complaining the whole time, I believe that we can actually go and and do this. We can do this. Let's go up right now, this very moment, and take these people. Caleb had a confident hope. He had a confident hope in his God. He knew the promise that God had made. He knew the promise that God had made to Abraham, and he was willing to go up and to take it. And he was willing to do it with people who thought they couldn't do it. It's like, let's just go. Let's just go do it. I love Caleb. But the spies are not in for it. You see in verse 31, Then the men who gone up with them said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, so we seem to them. They gave a bad report. Caleb could have just gone along with, with what was going on, because actually it says that in the few verses later that because Caleb and Joshua were standing up to them, they were getting ready to take stones and stone them. This was not uh, a friendly meeting. This was an angry mob that Caleb was standing up to, and yet he did because he had hope and confidence in his God. The faithful life is marked by a confident hope that God will do exactly what he says he's going to do. He says later in, in chapter 14, just the next page over, verse, verses, uh, verse 7 and 8, or verse 8, excuse me, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. This is a good land, not a bad land. The Lord would not take us to a place that he could not conquer for us. Caleb demonstrated what Paul says in Romans 8.31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Adoniram Judson was the first American missionary to go overseas for foreign missions. And he spent most of his time in Burma. And that man lived a hard life, a life where he spent most of his time in prison, being tortured, and in abject poverty and starvation, along with his family. And for the first six years of his ministry, he didn't have a single convert. And a member of his mission board who really didn't understand what was going on over there, wrote him this very diplomatic letter asking, hey, what's going on over there? And maybe you should think about coming home. I mean, what is the future of, for Burma? And Adoniram Judson wrote back a response. He said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. Adoniram Judson was, had a confident hope that all those years in the jungle were worth it because of the God he served. And if you know his story, you, you, you will know that it was worth it. The Lord used him in a big way. Caleb had a confident hope. His faith, that he had believed in God's faithfulness to him. And it is that faithfulness that caused him to want to act, to want to act on that hope that he had. And that brings us to our second, our second mark of a faithful life, is that Caleb had a quick obedience. He had a quick obedience. Flip back to Joshua, verses 8 and 9. He's saying all this. Joshua is bringing all this recollection back, and he's saying this to him. Forty years later, 
Verse 8 says, But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land in which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you wholly followed the Lord your God. And other, other translations say wholeheartedly followed the Lord his God. And Caleb is making a comparison that the people's hearts were melted, and yet because of my confidence in the Lord God, I wholly followed the Lord God with all of my heart. Caleb had a quick obedience. He did not hesitate when it came time to spy out the mission. He did not hesitate when it came time to take the land. He was ready right there and then. If you are to look back at Numbers 14, 8, and 9, he says, If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. And he exhorts the people of Israel to obey, not rebel. He says, he says in verse 9, Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Notice that Caleb does not try to downplay the gravity of the situation. He doesn't say, look, they're not that big, okay? Those fortifications, I think we can, there's, they're, they're exaggerating. He knew Israel was a nation of former slaves, not a well-seasoned army, even though they had some battle experience. He knew there was actual clans of giants. He knew they were on fortified locations, and he knew that it did seem like a very impossible situation. But Caleb did not deter from wanting to obey the Lord God. He had witnessed the ten plagues. He had seen God split the Red Sea. He had heard the voice of God come down from the mountain. And he knew that this, even though seeming crazy without the Lord, but with the Lord, it's easy. Let's just go do it. Let's go do it. God's going to take it for us. So Caleb wholeheartedly followed the Lord his God. This phrase wholeheartedly means uh, to completely carry out, to devote or to obey. And it literally means to walk closely behind. And the idea being that you want to be as close to the one that you're submitting to and following and mimicking their every move. And most of you know that my dad is a rancher. And so when I was growing up, a big portion of my childhood was spent helping my dad work cattle. And if you work cattle with my dad, you know that we sort the cattle a lot. There's all kinds of ways. There's get the babies off the mamas, get the old mamas off the young mamas, get the other mamas that belong to somebody else off. You do a lot of sorting, and my siblings and I, we like to tease them about it because it seems a bit excessive. But <laughs> I told dad that I was going to tell him that, so it's okay. But when we worked cattle at our house, we had this long, narrow alleyway. And the way that we sorted the cattle is my dad would go up, and my dad is really good at this. He would go up, and he, the cattle would be stirring, and he would see the ones he want, and he, sometimes he would move right, sometimes he would move left, and he would work that cow out till they turned off and then ran by him. And then they would go down to some other guys who had gates open and would close them and open the gates to where the cows needed to go. And my job was to be with dad, and after the cow ran by, I was to go after it and shoo it down and run all the way down the alley and then come back and do that over and over again. Well, in a tight alley where cattle don't like to be, they get nervous and antsy. And so what, happened, what dad would say, he would say, stay right with me and do everything that I do. And what I found out is, is that if my dad went right and I was still over here and left, I had a big old cow coming at me. And one of two things would happen. Best case scenario, I get knocked over. Worst case scenario, I turn the cow back and it knocks my dad over, which was not a good thing to do 
for a young boy. It wasn't like the worst thing. You don't want to get your dad knocked over. And so I found out very quickly that if I wanted to live long in the land and prosper, I needed to heed (laughs) my dad's words very precisely. And so I got really good at staying right on my dad. I I would even, so much so that I would take every step that he would take, I would be right there behind him. And you could say in that instance that I was wholeheartedly following my father in that scenario. I wanted to be right there with him. I wanted to do everything that he did right away. And the quicker that I obeyed, the sooner I received the blessings. Caleb wholeheartedly followed the Lord his God. He wanted to obey God. He was eager to obey God. James, in his epistle, has a different way of describing this wholeheartedness. He says in James 1.21, Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Someone who is faithful to Christ is not someone who hears the word of God, knows the word of God, or even appreciates the word of God, but the faithful Christian life is described in simply the act of obedience. He's a doer continually of the word of God. He knows God's word and he obeys it. Not a do only when convenient follower of the word of God, but a doer of the word of God. Caleb is also described in Numbers 14 as a servant of God, something that at that time had only been used to describe Moses. He was a slave, a follower, a servant of God. Caleb had a quick obedience. And you may be saying, well, it was easy for Caleb to obey God, and it was easy for Caleb to have all this hope because he saw all these miracles. He saw all these miracles. He had the Red Sea, the Ten Commandments, ground swallowing up people. Oh my goodness, like, of course you would want to obey that. And it would just be so easy for myself if I could obey and trust, especially in times of trial, if I just had a sign, if I could get a miracle from the Lord to know that He's there, that He hears me, that He's listening. But friends, I would put to you that uh, you see miracles all the time, but we just take them for granted. And they're in this room, that there are hearts here that have been transformed by the gospel. Hearts that, have been, that were once opposed and hated, to God, hated God have now been regenerated and given newness. There is actually a new person. Every Ironman, every woo, someone gives testimony to this new that they have, new thoughts, new attitudes, new desires that they didn't have before. That is a miracle. So we have no excuse. We have no excuse to quickly follow and obey God. Caleb had a confident hope, and Caleb quickly obeyed his God. And because of that, because Caleb was eager to obey God and to act on that hope. It brings us to our third mark of a faithful life, and that is Caleb had a long view of God's promise. Caleb had a long view of God's promise. Look at Joshua 14 again, verse 10. He's been building up to something this whole time. Remember, Joshua, you were there. This thing happened. Moses made a promise. He's building up, and he says, And now, behold... The Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke the word of Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, this day I am 85 years old. Caleb's hope has been enduring this whole time through 40 years in the wilderness. 
Now, you, you probably know this, but I'll tell you, Israel obviously does not listen to Joshua and Caleb. And they decide to disobey and rebel against God. And the consequence of that was that God sentenced everyone in, in Israel to go back to that hard wilderness that they just came from, and they had to spend 40 years wandering around in circles while that slave generation died off. And that was everybody above the age of 20 for 40 years. And Caleb had to endure that, and he did nothing wrong in that scenario. God made a promise to Caleb that he would have the land, but he would have to wait to, to get it. He would have to endure. Think about that. There was probably a little over 2 million people. And if you did the math, you would probably come somewhere around that every day there was hundreds of people who were dying. Every day for 40 years. And Caleb was a part of that. And he was seeing his friends, his family members, his peers, his mentors, all dropping and dying every day. Every day, living in a land that was harsh and bitter, knowing seasons going by that should have been the harvest for him, watching his kids grow up and scratching around in the dirt, knowing that there's a better land over there, but they have to grow up here in this. And what you don't see, coming to the end of this, what you don't see is a warp, twisted, bitter old man. Which, honestly, if I'm to be serious, I, honestly, I don't know how I would go through that and not, not come through bitter and angry at God. But Caleb had a long view of God's promise, and he had a confident hope, and he loved to obey God, and he knew that God would bring about that promise, even if it wasn't in the timing that he didn't like. And we see this as we read, as we keep reading in verse 10 of Joshua 14. He says, Behold... I am 85 years old this day. And this is, where I, this is one of the most amazing things. I love this. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength is now as my strength was then for war and for going and for coming. And Caleb, that guy, had some energy. Now that guy had some guts. I love it. I love it. He had strength for everyday work. He says for going and for coming. That basically means just everyday work. I can get up in the morning, I can feed the critters, I can do chores, and I can still swing a sword and handle myself. And so because of that long vision of waiting, trusting, obeying, he now comes to this climax of the text and he makes this bold, ambitious request. He says in verse 12, Now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. And so I asked you to mark that in Numbers. That's the same place that they were trudging around in when they were exploring the land. That's the same place that they saw the Anakim and their fortified cities up there. And that's the same place that struck fear and terror into the entire nation of Israel. And here is one man, an 85-year-old man, and he says, give me that spot. That's the inheritance I want, Joshua. That's what I want. I want to go and see God's promises fulfilled. And really the first thing that I think about when I read this a long time ago was, what kind of guy did Caleb look like? I don't know if you're thinking that. 
what does, who is it? Like, is he like Arnold or does he find the fountain of youth? Like, what, what does this guy look like? And honestly, we don't know. We don't know. But Joshua, who most scholars believe based on the events of Joshua, is about 95 at this, at this point. And just a chapter earlier, God said to Joshua, Behold, you're old and advanced in years. And if God says you're old, you're pretty old. He was 95, Caleb's about 85. So there might have been some differences, but really, I don't think 85 looked that much different then than it would look now. But he knew that God would equip him to finish his task. So in my mind, I picture Chuck Norris for Caleb, who happened to just turn 82 the other day. And Chuck Norris looks like, looks like an, aid, an, an elder man. But you wouldn't mess with Chuck Norris. You know that guy can still roundhouse kick you. So, so, maybe like behind, so maybe behind Caleb's beard is not a chin, but like Chuck Norris, it's just another fist. So Maybe Caleb didn't do push-ups, but he just pushed the earth down like Chuck Norris. Whatever he looked like, he was confident that God would equip him to finish his, his purpose. He had a long vision, a long hope, and a quick obedience. You see, Caleb's eagerness is not just for himself, but really he's yearning to see God's promises fulfilled. And we see that by the way he, he phrases this, this bold request, which you would think would be kind of prideful, except that he sandwiches it in between what God is doing. If you look back at verse 10 of Joshua 14, he says, He says, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive this day. Not my workout routine, not my diet. It is God who kept me alive today. God is the reason why I'm here. And he makes the request, Now give me this hill country which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with their great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. So Caleb knows and realizes that he is not doing this on his own strength. And it is purely by the grace of God that he would accomplish this. But Caleb knows that, and he wants to act on that. And what scared an entire nation of people, he wants to do it by himself with his family. And he says, give me that hill. Give me that mountain, as the New King James translates it. Caleb wanted to see God's promises fulfilled. He was eager to have a front row seat to see what God could do through one faithful man. And he wanted to be leading the charge when it happens, and he wanted to take the hill. So, so what does that have to do with us? That was a long time ago. We're not called to go conquer people with the sword. Thank goodness, by the way. I would not want to do that. But God has given his children a commission, a battle plan, a promise, and instead of driving people out, we are to bring people in with the gospel. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, has all of this wrapped up in it. Verse 18 says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. 
So we have our commission. We have the authority. All authority has been given to Christ. There is not a stray molecule or a person. Everything has been given to Christ and under his authority. So therefore, we better take, take heed and obey. And he says, go therefore and make disciples. We're to tell people about Christ. We're to help people understand that they're guilty of sin and they're in the line of God's wrath just like the Canaanites. But because of Christ who came and lived a perfect life on their behalf, there is grace and there is hope that can be found by submitting your life and giving your life to Christ and trusting in him. And then we don't leave them there. We don't drop them and just say, okay, you're converted. All right, bye. We stay with them. We teach them and we teach them everything that Christ commanded. We share life together. We teach them how to obey the scriptures. We bear their burdens together. We counsel them. We encourage them. We admonish them when needed. We befriend them. That's our commission. That's our battle plan. That's what the Lord has called us to do. That's what he needs Caleb's to go out and do. So what can we learn from Caleb as we consider these commands? First, Don't let fear and comfort distract you from opportunities that God would bring your way. Don't let fear and comfort distract you from the opportunities that God could bring your way. Caleb feared God more than he feared Israel and more than he feared those giants up on the hill. And unfortunately, you find in the book of Judges that the people didn't drive, Israel didn't drive all the people out. They were kind of okay with the status quo, and they didn't really want to have to keep fighting. They just wanted to set up their houses and just be okay with the people there. Didn't want to have to, didn't want their comfort disrupted. So don't let fear and comfort distract you from the opportunities that God could have, could take your way. Take opportunities closest to you. Start in your home. Start with yourself. Maybe the reason you're not involved in ministry, maybe the reason you're not sharing the gospel laws is because there's sin that you're trying to hide and you don't want people to find out. Take opportunities that God gives you in your home. This may mean that you have to restore a kind of a cold relationship. It may mean that you have to take more responsibility and initiative with your kids. Then put yourself outside your comfort zone and watch God work. Reach out to your neighbors, your coworkers. People in this church, your house doesn't have to be perfect to have people over, and your hobbies can wait to do gospel ministry. Reach out to a friend in your classes. Don't just go in, do your work, leave. Reach out to people in your classes. And lastly, set your hope on Christ today. Jesus said all authority is given to him. That is who we're trusting in, and that is why we don't need to have fear when we talk to people about Christ, when we do the hard work of ministry and get involved in people's lives because we're serving Christ. He is the one that does the work, not us. All we have to do is just set our hope on Christ and obey. Joshua, we see an ending to this in Joshua 14, verse 13. Then Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. Caleb accomplished 
the purposes that God had for him. Caleb didn't let fear or age or comfort rob him of opportunities that God had for him. We can have a sure and steady confidence that Christ will equip us to finish the task while we're here on earth. So we need to be ready. We need to renew our confidence in God and what he can do in us. We need to have a confident hope. We need to be quick to obey and act on that hope. And then when things don't go the way we planned, maybe when God says, not yet, we need to have a long vision of God's promises, knowing that in the end, he will make everything right, and he will accomplish his purposes. And then we can be like Caleb and boldly and confidently want to take that hill. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you, God, for your word, which is sure and active. And God, like the people of Israel, I myself and those of us in here, we may desire comfort more than obedience. And we may fall to fear of other people than fear of you, Lord. And so I ask in that in those moments, would you stir a faithfulness in our hearts like Caleb, a faithfulness that can only come from the Spirit working in our lives. And God, I ask that you would use us to do big things for you in this church and in this community and in the surrounding counties. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.